0: Ever wish for fuller lips? With Juvederm lip fillers, a licensed specialist can help you get the customized look you've been wanting. Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC can give your lips that boost of volume you've been wanting. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at juvederm.com. That's j u v e d e r m.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.
1: Welcome back to Latcha where we define and defend the greatest region in the country. My name is Chuck Cora, and I am joined here, as always, by my good friend and co-host, Big John Eisner. John, today, I'm, I'm coming to you live, live as far as this recording goes, from the great city of Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, beautiful, a little balmy today, a little cold. It actually feels a bit like Canada, I'm told, by my wife. So uh, no no sun here. It's a little a little different. We're in the south, but we're starting to feel a little bit like the north.
2: I hey in West Virginia it was snowing. So uh, if she really wants to to feel Canada, she should come up this way. And it was she snowing today. A
1: little bit more. It was snowing. Yes, yeah, today and no and here in oh, Nashville it was
2: snowing. In Ten- it was snowing in Tennessee. Hell yeah.
1: Well, you're welcome. No, thank you. Take it back. I want this. It was (laughs) the sun was shining yesterday. I want to keep it that way. Well, the weird
2: thing about West Virginia is the sun was shining today, and it was still snowing.
1: (laughs) That's. Did you get like a rainbow or something out of that? Like, what sort of phenomenon comes from sunshine and snow? I don't know. I don't go outside when that happens, so couldn't help you. Fair enough. Stay in a cave. I get it. You know, we all been there.
2: Yeah, I mean that's pretty much what. Winter in West Virginia, try and stay inside as much as you can.
1: As long as you have a healthy supply of bread and milk, then you will be safe.
2: Well, anytime it snows here, you've got to have at least 40 loaves of bread and 20 gallons of... I have to have uh, non-dairy milk,
1: but, (laughs) you know, same thing. It's only so many milk sandwiches you can make, right?
2: Hey, just dip it and sink it that's what
1: i always say <laughs> this that might be worth an entire episode looking back at the origins of of get your bread and your milk every, I agree. every I boomer so. on facebook is like make sure you got your bread and your milk lord help you if you don't have bread and milk you'll starve yeah well <laughs> speaking <laughs> of bread and milk all right perfect transition so today I'm I'm real excited for this one. I am I know I was excited last week, but this week it might top it. It might just top it. Because we're talking about we're talking about kush. We're talking about that green that ganja, the choof, the buddha, the devil's lettuce. We're yes, that's right. We're talking about Cannabis. And cannabis is what we're going to call it from here on out. Enough with the games because that's what the industry, the professional industry, calls it as cannabis. And so that's what we're going to call it. John, we're talking about cannabis today. We're talking about it because we think it could be highly relevant to Appalachia. It actually already is highly relevant to Appalachia. We're talking about it in terms of what's the legality of it in Appalachia, what's the future of it, and how is it or how could it be beneficial to the region over the course of time, and the potential economic boon that it could have on the entire region. But first, uh, uh, John, before we get into that, I think we started this last week and we're gonna keep continuing it. We're gonna do our Appalachian of the Week. If you remember, uh, last week it was Travis Milton. This week, it's actually several people. Uh, This week's Appalachians, plural, of the week are the Kentucky coal miners who blocked coal trains in order to get the pay that they were owed by the coal company. Now, that doesn't quite roll off the tongue, so let me give you some background. In Pike County, Kentucky, uh, several coal miners hadn't been paid for two weeks, and they were understandably pissed. I would be too. So, what they did and this has actually been done before it's really interesting and it's highly effective they decided to block a train hauling coal uh that was uh, i believe it was by, owned by the coal company that was hauling that coal and so they stood on the train tracks and blocked this train from moving really pissed off a lot of the people that were uh at the company uh, and i think that's freaking awesome and so they, they did this for several days. They were there. A lot of uh, media, some national media actually covered it as well. By the end of the ordeal, five men remained there, and they actually uh, they were able to get the pay that they were owed for those two weeks. And So they proved a point that you can't go without paying minors for hard work, and they stood up to these big corporate interests. So I want to give a shout-out to those guys, and I don't have all of their names. If I find the rest of them, uh, we'll give them a shout-out in future episodes, but to those miners and to their families, uh, we congratulate you for the work that you did. That's not easy, and it's, it's putting a lot on the line to do that, to make a point and to, uh, and to stand behind your work and your values, and so hats off to them.
2: Double hats off.
1: I agree. I think,
2: I think you picked a good one this week, Chuck.
1: Those are Appalachians of the week. We, uh, we, we look forward to uh, continuing this, this proud tradition that we're putting out here at Appalachia. So if you have suggestions for future Appalachians of the week, make sure that you let us know. I think the best way to get at us now is DMing us on Instagram, so please do so. It's where a lot of our, our good commentary and good comments come from. All right, so for real, we're going we're gonna to dial it back a little bit here um, because this is actually a serious topic. As much as we joke about cannabis and weed, it, it, is, a, it is a serious topic in a serious economic powerhouse in many states in this country and has the potential to be in many of the states in Appalachia. So before we get started with a lot of the details, I think just because we have a diverse listener base of people who probably are extremely knowledgeable about cannabis or who have zero knowledge about it, I think it's probably safe to say that John and I maybe fall in between on that category. We're we're not portraying ourselves to be any experts on this. Uh, We've done a modest amount of research and we've talked with several people, but we're intending this episode to be the first of many where we're going to be talking about this issue and the things that stem from it. In fact, we're uh, in the process of scheduling interviews with people that um, I think we could consider subject matter experts, or at least they have a bountiful amount of knowledge in in this industry and in this topic that we're going to be bringing onto this show so that our listeners will really be exposed to a lot of smart people and, and powerful thought on this. But for this episode, we are primarily using it as A way to introduce the subject to our listeners and to talk uh, briefly about some of the uh, issues that cannabis touches. And first we're going to start out though by breaking it down a little bit for some definitional purposes because cannabis is a broad ranging topic and there's a lot of things involved. You have hemp, you have CBD, you have actual marijuana, medical marijuana. So we wanted to give a brief overview of the differences and so i'll start and i'll premise this by saying that if i get any of this wrong please listeners let us know happy to uh to take that criticism but so first we start off with cannabis sativa that is the plant where each part is harvested differently depending on the purpose cannabis aka marijuana which is what probably most people are familiar uh the psychoactive made from cannabis plants are used for medical and recreational purposes and so when you're talking about getting high off of marijuana or cannabis, whatever you want to call it, uh, the psychoactive component of that is THC. Uh, that I'm going to attempt to pronounce it, but I'm going to call it THC from here on out. Tetrahydrocannabidial. I'm going to say that's right. Anyway, we're going to call it THC. That's the psychoactive part. That's the ingredient in cannabis that actually gets you high. So the second part that we'll mention of the cannabis sativa plant is hemp. Uh, often referred to as industrial hemp. It's a strain of the cannabis sativa and is used and often refined into textiles, apparel, clothing, paint, biofuel, food, animal feed, so many different uses for it. It's got a much, much lower THC concentration and a much higher cannabidial concentration. And so that's where you kind of get into the subject of CBD, which is probably what a lot of our listeners are familiar with i know that we've had several reach out to us and and share their stories of using it and, and their experience with it which we'll we'll get into here in just a little bit but cbd stands for cannabidiol uh again if i'm mispronouncing that i apologize this is my uh it's my appalachian uh, roots showing there um It's the second most prevalent active ingredient in cannabis derived directly from the hemp plant, which is a cousin of marijuana, as we mentioned, but it's not the psychoactive portion and does not cause a high. And so that's why CBD is often more available in states where maybe recreational and medical marijuana are prohibited because CBD, the components don't actually get you high, but they do have a medicinal Aspect to them, often they're used, often CBD is used to treat a number of health issues, including epilepsy, arthritis, and other chronic pain. So I know that's a lot, but that is just a very basic rundown of some of the basic components of cannabis sativa and cannabis and what we'll be talking about today. So I think that the discussion of CBD uh, segues nicely into the discussion that we're going to have about medical cannabis.
2: Chuck, have you ever tried CBD? You can say yes or no because it's legal, obviously.
1: <laughs> Thanks for that uh, legal disclaimer. We're not lawyers, by the way. Not we're not we're <laughs> not lawyers. That was just a um, uh, something I something I personally know. <laughs> if you again, we'll, we'll put this out here. We're getting free advertising for our wives right now. Uh, they're they're the licensed attorneys <laughs> here. So, Kristen Corrin, and Taylor Copeland. If you uh, need legal representation, reach out to them, not us.
2: Bart in Tennessee, and West Virginia.
1: no so i i i haven't really tried cbd i have used it a little bit but i don't i don't know i don't really feel like i have a enough um, exposure experience to it a lot but i have a a family member who um, has really bad arthritis in their back and was on like three prescription painkillers and just, like, did not have any quality of life, like, was just in pain all the time. If you can imagine arthritis in your back, it must be horrible. Uh, Yeah, and so the doctor... They live in West Virginia, by the way. The doctor uh, said to use CBD oil, like, topically, um, and he said that it has changed his life and made him, like, it's a... I think he said, quote, uh, he has a life again, and he was able to... um, I guess, stop using at least one of his prescription pain meds, which is great. I mean, anytime that you can not have to use a prescription pain medicine is a good thing. So, I mean, I think like uh, there's definitely mixed results with CBD, but I I, I think that I can attest personally as having known people that have greatly benefited from it. So I think it's something that's really important.
2: You know, if if you're actually using it in different forms, it can do different things for different people. Hopefully, it does help you know, whoever wants to try
1: it. Varying effects based on the person or dog in this, in this example. So when you're speaking about medical cannabis, just in general, and this CBD is, I think kind of falls into a bit of a different category, just as a disclaimer, because CBD does not contain the THC component. But when we're talking about medical cannabis, that is all ranges of that, including um, the psychoactive THC component. And so, in Appalachia, there are five states who have there are five states where medical cannabis is legal. That's West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Ohio, and New York. And but put West Virginia in quotes. Yes, <laughs> and we will definitely get into that because that is very much deserving of air quotes there with. legal. John, it seems like, uh, so for these purposes, it's been easier for some states to legalize medical cannabis because there are legitimate health benefits to it that can be tied directly to people who are suffering from severe medical conditions. Walk us through some of the health benefits that people, um, or I, I guess like walk us through some of the use cases for medical cannabis.
2: Right. And as you mentioned, it does seem to be a little bit easier to get medical marijuana passed far before you could get, you know, even think about recreational. And I think you're right whenever it comes down to you're having trained physicians come out and say that these are, you know, this thing is actually helping a massive amount of people and some of those some of those chronic illnesses that they actually talk about is um anyone with chronic pain management Uh, arthritis, epilepsy, PTSD, which I think is a huge one. Uh, uh, It's also extremely helpful for those struggling with anxiety, depression, and even slows down the progress of Alzheimer's, which if we can slow that down at all, we should be taking steps towards it. Um, It eases the pain of multiple sclerosis. Um, Again, these are just some of the illnesses and chronic problems that uh, marijuana has been linked to successfully treating this is not an entire list of everything Uh, and cbd can even be used if you don't want to go the route of having something with thc Uh, it relieves arthritis and chronic pain Um, we've even had that discussion with some of our listeners
1: Yeah. And and we, so we put out a question to some of our our listeners to ask them, like, tell us their thoughts on cannabis. And with respect to the health benefits, we got a lot of really great uh, input. One person had mentioned that it helps them with night terrors and anxiety. I think we've seen that a lot with people that we've talked to who may not want to go the prescription route with getting drugs for anxiety and depression and just like things like night terrors, because a lot of the side effects of those drugs are, are really horrific and they just take a toll on your body. And so that's a really, really important thing. Uh, m- many people have referenced it for PTSD. I think like John mentioned, especially with the veteran population in Appalachia uh, who suffer greatly from PTSD, this seems like a no brainer to help them and, and something where I think PTSD especially is a really difficult affliction to manage and to treat. So. These are just like a, a very broad example, not exhaustive, of the health benefits of cannabis, both CBD and the uh, psychoactive THC variations.
2: And let's not forget to mention PTSD from other situations, not just veterans, but people who have been in abusive relationships, um, you know, all of these other sorts of things that can lead to PTSD. This is still helping with them as well.
1: Absolutely, and when you think, especially about Appalachia region that has been impacted so horrifically by the opioid crisis and by just the overprescription of pain medication pills. Yeah, so I, I think especially when you think about the ability to the ability for medical cannabis to help people. Uh, kick their addiction, especially to opiates or opioid pills and, and other prescription pills, I think is, is really compelling. And we had, we even had listeners reach out to us saying that essentially like medical cannabis saved their life, that, you know, it helped them, them get off using opioid pills. And so I think when you think about that, it, I mean, as a life-saving device, I mean, I know it doesn't work that way for everybody, but it, even if you can help one person wean themselves off these devastating and and horribly corrosive pills, then I think that that's a a win in my book.
2: Especially with less side effects than the pills our physicians are giving out. That's what doesn't make any sense about this.
1: Absolutely. And, And I think when, especially when you get into these discussions, it's incredibly frustrating to just see like how, how this legislation is often slow-walked through legislatures and, and killed on arrival just because of these stigmas that's attached to cannabis, which we'll get into. But I, I think when when you look back at the human aspect of this, that's really what's important here is that people's lives are being significantly improved and their pain significantly more managed and their lives significantly more livable because of this like medical breakthrough, quite frankly. I think we need to be referring to it as that. We don't want to just refer to it as just like weed that you're smoking that makes you feel better. It's a medical improvement that we need to be taking advantage of. And you know, if we can get millions of opioid pills in West Virginia and Kentucky and Virginia, then I think that we need to be getting something that's <laughs> I think that there that there's a, where there's a will, there's a way, and we can be getting we can be getting folks more access to these uh, to these resources with medical cannabis where it's a lot less addicting and a lot less uh, a lot less horrible side effects that ruin people's lives like opioid, opioids do.
2: Yeah, and I hate to be cynical, but you, you just mentioned, you know, lawmakers essentially slowing down the process because of uh, different stigmas. But let's also not forget who's padding their campaign funds.
1: Absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned that because that rolls into uh, that rolls in really nicely to the other aspect of medical cannabis that we were going to mention, which is uh, uh, the high cost of, of permitting when there are uh, when it is legal in different states. But John, why don't you go? Why don't you tell us what you mean by that?
2: Well, first off, I mean, anyone and I I say this about any person running for office, but when they make a stance I always like to back it up by going and checking their campaign finance records because you'll see an alarming statistic that shows that if somebody is for something or really, really against something, you can probably link it to campaign finances. Uh, A lot of legislators, I'm not saying all of them, but there are a lot of legislators in this country who are very anti-marijuana because the people who are padding their campaign finance would be the pharmaceutical companies they make no doubt about it i mean the pharmaceutical companies don't want this to pass especially in regions like appalachia i mean right now they're making billions of dollars just off this region alone if they were to if they were to implement cannabis you know especially medical or recreational they would lose millions and millions of dollars and people who swear by these drugs would also look at it and be like You're saying that I can get a better, I can get the same or better effect from this plant that doesn't give me the side effects that I'm dealing with every day on your pill. Of course, I'm going to, of course, I'm going to go with that. And that's what they're scared of. And you can see that in campaign finance as well.
1: Yeah. You know, and and something you can grow in your house rather than have to be produced in a lab. Um, And I think even more so than that, and uh, this has been referenced by several listeners, that. If it is going to happen, which it did in West Virginia, for example, that pharma is going to want their their hands in that cookie jar and they're going to want their fingerprints on the regulatory structure to where it's beneficial to them and where they can get a piece of that pie. And so I think that rolls in real nicely to an issue that is actually plaguing a lot of places right now, which is like the high cost of the permitting process. And what we mean by that is getting the licensing necessary to operate legally as a business that provides medical cannabis uh, in different parts of the country. So, um, and I'll reference one uh, um, comment from a listener that we got. Uh, th- they referenced that with the high cost of medical permitting, for example, in West Virginia, the renewal fee is $50,000. Uh, How do we ensure this new industry is not under outsider control like coal all over again? And how do we ensure access for patients in such an impoverished region? And I think the point that this person mentioned about ensuring that the new industry is not under outsider control is incredibly important when talking about this. It is great that there are certain states like West Virginia, like Pennsylvania, like Ohio, that have passed medical cannabis legislation authorizing the retail stores to provide it for, uh, for people with a prescription. But when you look at West Virginia, for example, where the there's a $50,000 annual licensing fee and Pennsylvania, where there, there's an annual renewal fee of $10,000, but the application fee I think is $200,000 or something in that ballpark. This makes it so prohibitive for local people people that don't already have access to like large amounts of capital to be able to take part in this and it opens up the opportunity for big companies like big pharmaceutical companies like or whoever else to come in and start taking advantage of of that market and and not allowing the local stores and the local people to benefit economically from it and that's something that really i think needs more attention
2: yeah, not to mention the you know federal regulatory process that makes it illegal for people to go out and get loans to start these businesses. They, you have to have the capital. That's, that's it in this situation. You can't go out and, and get a, a loan from a bank that has FDIC funding or FDIC insurance because they're legally not allowed. So you have to have, you know, the $50,000 in West Virginia to get started or the $200,000 to get started in Pennsylvania. And you know who does have that? Pharmaceutical companies. And they have, I mean, they have that, you know, hundreds hundreds of thousands of times. Um, And and that's what makes this, uh, you know, still a sad situation because we continue to block out the people that really need it.
1: Absolutely. I I think it really, it's in stark contrast to the tradition of, you know, the small business owner, right? So I have a brother-in-law who opened a coffee shop in Florida, and he started by literally roasting beans in, I think, the back of, like, his house, and and that business grew into one where he, uh, to a brick-and-mortar shop, and that's something that, uh, you know, he was able to do, basically pull himself up off the bootstraps and start from nothing, and so, but you don't, like, with these regulations that just are so high and these fees that are so high, you aren't able to have that. Like you can't have these mom and pop shops that are able to open up and people that are in this, in these States and in this region able to thrive. And so it's just, it creates a Petri dish, a breeding ground for large companies to come in and take advantage and exploit more of the States. And, you know, I think there's a great point that this, you know, could create a cyclical, or this, this could create another situation like coal, where you have these big money interests come in and take advantage of things and prevent people from really being able to to thrive. I think it's, you know, and I think that that, like, I think that when we talk about this, we have to talk about the fact that, like, the regulatory structure mu- must be one that enables affordable access and affordable ways for people to open their own business. It's not enough that legislation passes uh, that That allows for medical cannabis that's great, we like that, we love it, but there has to be a structure in place where it enables the regular folks to be able to participate
2: and You can see the major difference between regions here the the regions who are willing and they know what type of first off economic boom this would bring, and second what type of medical boom it brings. There's that section. And then there's the section right now that Appalachia's in where it's they're very weary of marijuana. Um, You know, there's people that are blocking marijuana from either being um, implemented or they're just over regulating it so much that, you know, Big Pharma continues to have control. But on the other side of the country, you have places like Washington and Oregon and how Chuck was bringing up the application fee in Appalachia over there. In Washington, it's only $1,480. And in Oregon, it can go up to $5,750. That's because those are two states that understand what marijuana does for their their population and for their economy.
1: Yeah, it, it's, it's kind of insane to think about. And like, I, I'll, you know... I need to probably fact check this just to be sure, but it's it's kind of insane to look at it and see where, like, you know, you have a renewal fee in a place like West Virginia of 50 grand, but then you go to Washington State and it's, like, less than $2,000? That's ridiculous. <laughs> and the application fee is $250 in Washington. It's 5000 in West Virginia. That's insane. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. And it's it is malpractice by... The legislature do not address these concerns. And you know what? And like, this is, like, I mean, I think it's fair to say it's probably deliberate because, all right, so they passed this. Great. Well, we're going to set forth regulations that's going to kill it. And it's a shame. It's a disservice to the people of the states that, that this is happening to. And it's something that we want our listeners to be aware of so that they understand this and that they can, you know, they can raise it with their family and their friends. Like, because this is, I mean, that's it's wrong. It's wrong.
2: I'm with you and, and I agree. I think it was a lot of it was done on purpose. I mean, if you look at at West Virginia, you know, medical marijuana should have been implemented almost what 2 years ago and then and then and then all of a sudden there's a quote-unquote banking issue which we all knew that there was a banking issue to begin with. I just figured that when you wrote the legislation, you would have implemented something like a state bank or some other option for these businesses to bank out of um it kind of blows my mind that and I think it was done on purpose I think it was to to push it even farther aside and not to mention in West Virginia when medical marijuana is implemented uh, a lot of that regulation comes down to pill form who can make pills chuck oh oh
1: oh let me guess
2: pharmaceutical
1: companies oh,
2: and there it is again if if there is anything in a in drug business, they're going to be there. It, it doesn't matter.
1: Yep. And I think there's no better way to think about it than the pill form issue, because how many mom and pop places have the ability to make things in pill forms? Probably not many. But I'll tell you what, every pharmaceutical company does.
2: Also, could you imagine just making pills at your house? How many drug busts would there be? Well that's the thing. You if you can't
1: have plants but you can make pills, it it
2: well, it, yeah. it prevents
1: mean, it, people from actually taking advantage of it.
2: Yeah, it's it's insane. You're gonna have you're gonna have major pharmaceutical companies who are growing marijuana and putting it into pill form, but you're also gonna have, you know, Susie and, and Mike up the street who are getting swatted for having a plant. I mean, it's insane.
1: Absolutely. Well, I think uh, that's a no better place than ever to put a button on the medical issue for right now. Well, again, we're going to be diving a lot deeper into all of these issues in future episodes. This is purely meant to be... A 30,000-foot overview, so if we miss things or if we haven't mentioned a specific thing, don't get on to us, don't, you know, don't add us, or, or do, but do it in a nice way. Actually, let us know, let us, let know. us know. In fact, let yeah, us know, but understand always... that this is not meant to be comprehensive. Right.
2: Yeah, don't don't come at it at it from a hostile take. We're not, you know, we're not missing things on purpose, uh, this light... <laughs> like Chuck said, this is a thirty thousand foot episode. We're I'm excited. We have some some pretty intelligent people on the subject that are going to be joining us and really fully explaining the situation
1: uh, in Appalachia. We'll briefly talk about recreational cannabis since it's worth noting that no state in Appalachia at this point has legalized. Recreational cannabis—it's only medical and/or uh, CBD slash low THC programs. But John, why don't you talk to us a little bit about recreational and what that means?
2: Obviously, has to be prescribed. Recreational—you can essentially walk out of your house and buy it at a, a you know, the nearest store that sells it. Um, and there seems to—obviously, we can go over all the stigmas. I don't really want to get into that because I think we all—we all kind of know why these things aren't passing but i did find an interesting article that i wanted to bring up um and i think this will essentially leave the listeners on a good thought uh somewhere that they could think about or something that they can think about and uh really kind of examine before we have our guests come on and discuss it even more but this isn't a new issue chuck this is an issue that has continued to go on i mean i'm actually looking at a 2014 article uh, from actually business Insider, which I know is a very weird one um for me to be quoting on uh marijuana, but they actually discuss why places like Kentucky, Tennessee, and West Virginia need to implement um recreational marijuana. The first thing they do is they cite a twenty seventeen d o j which Department of Justice. Uh, report that actually this is my one of my favorite uh, quotes of all time outdoor cannabis cultivation is common throughout the appalachia region <laughs> AKA, <laughs> aka appalachians grow marijuana
1: <laughs> aka growing it in the backyard hell yeah
2: now this this number <laughs> this number killed me chuck because it, it, if it, I know it's not legal. I get that. I'm not saying that you should go out and break the law or anything like that. That would be stupid. Uh, and we do not ever want you to do that. But we know that some people are because the number of outdoor plants from grow operations in Kentucky, Tennessee, and West Virginia, this is from, from 2006 to 2007, increased from 1,004,329 to 1,252,524 plants. Marijuana plants.
1: You gotta wonder what was happening in that year that made them want to increase by like like two hundred thousand. I'm pretty sure it was just Bush's presidency. <laughs> <laughs> uh... <inaudible> Got him. Anyway. <laughs> Nailed it. Get it.
2: But but think about this on a on a realistic term though because there's 1,252,524 plants and that's in 2006. I'll venture to guess that it's gone way up. But the the, the states that this is happening in, they're not receiving tax funds from this. They make no money. This is what blows my mind. And this is what the article talks about. It talks about the economic boom that these states could see. I mean, Chuck, imagine taxing 1,252,524 plants. Can you imagine the tax revenue? But Chuck, you said it's money on the table. They would need a f-ing huge table because they estimate that these plants would bring in more than one billion dollars every year.
1: What could? What do you think? Like, even let's say, like let's let's evenly split that up just for for the argument's sake between those three states. What could West Virginia do with three hundred and thirty-three million dollars extra?
2: you want the cynical answer?
1: <laughs> I, want, uh, I want.
2: I mean, whatever you want to say. To to be realistic about it, they could actually in, they can invest in their infrastructure. They can invest in broadband, and they can finally invest in bringing more companies to Appalachia. I mean, there seems to be this this weird breakdown right now of certain areas growing. Uh, you know, just the other day, Eastern Panhandle, West Virginia. You know was notified that Clorox picked them for, uh, you know, a large, um, manufacturing site, but the rest of West Virginia, you know, that's not happening. So they can finally kind of figure out what's going on in the other areas, uh, why companies are not choosing to, to come to Appalachia and to West Virginia. And they can finally focus on stopping the brain drain that's happening because we're losing massive amounts of population and it's not
1: stopping. Yeah tax the out of it okay this is like money that can be used for schools and lord knows it's not like the schools are flush with cash and you're going to turn down money quite the opposite so i think
2: it always it always cracks me up when people say but i don't want my schools funded by marijuana do you know what funds schools now
1: (laughs) yeah right okay
2: lottery money it's lottery money it's gambling that's what funds schools
1: right it, it's, the, it, the, it's such an absurd argument, and here's the thing. It, this does not mean that the, the underground market is going to go... Like, the underground market is here. The black market of weed is here, and it's been here for longer than anybody listening to this has been alive on this earth. So either you don't tax it, and you leave all that money on the table, and you have an industry that is underground and unregulated and dangerous, or you, you decide to go along with what other states have done, and tax it, and legalize it and get that revenue and put it into schools so you can start funding things that matter like the future of the state.
2: Yeah, I mean it, it's just insane. It, it's just insane that we're we're now looking at essentially protecting a a black market.
1: Yeah, that's what you're doing. Okay. I mean, so people That's have... what
2: they're doing. They I mean that and that's the thing is like Bring it, bring it from underground, put it above ground, make some money off of it, allow people to to do it if they want. Not everybody has to do it. It's just like alcohol, um, and essentially fun things that you don't have money for, and fun things that are embarrassing to not have money for. That's what's blowing my mind. It is an embarrassment that we can't pay for certain things. It's embarrassing that we are looked at by the rest of the country as a region that's failing its populace. That's why people are leaving. Stop failing. S- start making money and start fixing the region so people will actually move here. Companies will come here and we can begin to strive again.
1: Yeah. It's you know, it it, it comes down to this, it's a stigma that people don't wanna that that people that grew up in a bygone era who were told that dope is bad and it's it's but yet at the same time those were the like at that time people were still drinking and driving in cars (laughs) um but it comes down to this do you want people to go to a store where the product is going to be regulated and they're going to have knowledgeable people talk to you about the safe options that you can use either medically or recreationally or do you want several people going to the back alleys of an old broken-down Kmart and hoping that the other guy doesn't have a gun. John, I think that this is a good place to end that. I think that we have made our points pretty clear, and you know what? We're open to dissent, but uh, I feel—I think we feel pretty strongly about, about where we came down on this.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, there's bad sides to everything, and, and we can get into that in other uh, other episodes, but... But the way that I see it is, this is, this is an avenue for change in Appalachian. I think it's good change.
1: Well, as with every episode, we've come to that time again towards the end of the episode where we ask ourselves, what's the beef of the week? And to that, we go to Big John Eisner for his beef with Big John. Big,
2: big job now, if you remember last week first off I thought it was a hilarious beef I, I think that that's still one of the craziest things um, but if you remember what I was talking about I had to wait and wait and wait and I was really worried I wasn't going to get a beef but you know this this week's beef came pretty early in the week, because I think they just heard that that I needed something. I needed to talk about this. And this week's beef is with Frontier Communications. And I know if you're in Appalachia, you're like, what Woo! the hell has Frontier done this time? Because we all know about the issues that kind of go with Frontier. If you don't have Frontier, let me fill you in. Um, if I had Frontier right now, I wouldn't be making this podcast because I wouldn't be able to connect the internet to actually record this with chuck so that's how bad frontier is in my eyes i think they've had a lot of issues um and i know that people in west virginia and uh, parts of kentucky avoid them as much as they can but frontier has announced that they will be filing chapter 11 bankruptcy this would mean that they would essentially be continue operating uh without any interruption to your services if you have them but it would allow them to negotiate a pre-packaged agreement before... Chuck, are you ready for this number? They're going to pre-package $356 million of debt. This is a company that is only in 29 states. This isn't Verizon. This isn't uh, AT&T. This is Frontier Communications. And they decided that they were worthy of taking on three hundred and fifty-six million dollars of debt.
1: Well, <laughs> this <that's>... to me—what <laughs> did somebody give them student loan counseling or something? Jesus,
2: my God, I, I can't even take out a, a five thousand-dollar credit card, and they were like, "Ah, screw it, swipe it." This is <laughs> this has gotten this has gotten to that point where we're looking at companies. Who have been grossly mismanaged but here's the thing the management doesn't take a hit Chuck because (laughs) this is alarming the CEO of Frontier again a company that is in 356 million dollars in debt makes an annual salary of 1.6 million dollars with Bonuses up to six point four million dollars.
1: Man, what Just... is he? What is? What miracles is he working to get those bonuses? Goodness gracious, is he like? Is he like healing somebody? Like healing the blind or something?
2: If I was sh my job, they wouldn't give me more money. <laughs> This blows my mind. You have a company who has been struggling for years. Chuck, this isn't new. Actually, this is probably one of my favorite letters ever sent out of all time. But in 2017, a different CEO, this guy was actually named Dan McCarthy. That's not the current CEO now, uh, but I'm sure he was making $7 million as well. But he had decided that when Frontier started to have these issues with uh, repaying their massive amounts of debt, he decided he would send out a letter blaming employees for poor performance and decided to cut any bonus, essentially, that wasn't his and to begin investigations into poor customer service. Now, these aren't the employees that are taking on this massive amount of debt. This is, you know, these guys, McCarthy, you know, the current CEO, these are the people who have decided... They want to do this. And it wasn't poor customer service that caused this. In, in actuality, Frontier was reliant on landline phones. And they decided that instead of trying to move about uh, and, and get into other aspects of business, that they would rely on that. And it caught up to them. Phone bills were not being paid because phone bills are not needed anymore you have cell phones you have the ability to connect to the internet and to talk to people people don't need landlines and that really hurt frontier this this has gotten to the point where frontier is blaming 19,000 employees hmm. instead of looking at instead of looking at management and actually figuring out what's what's really wrong with the problem and i can tell you chuck it doesn't take a genius to look at 356 million dollars of debt and say I think we found the problem.
1: Well, I guess all I can say is, uh, Frontier, if you're listening, uh, I will do it for half.
2: (laughs) Well, and that's a big half because, Chuck, that's not even the worst of the situation. They have had, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but Frontier reported itself as having $16.3 billion in long-term debt as of September 2019. $16.3 billion in long-term debt. What? (laughs) Why is this company... How does this company still run? If I was negative in my bank account, they would take my house. But these people could still operate a business? This is mind-boggling. you
1: got to spend money to make money, John. You just don't understand.
2: Yeah, and and this is what we're going on now. Uh, Unfortunately, (laughs) Frontier continues to... Uh, You know, and first off, I want to say I feel really bad for their employees. I actually got to meet a lot of their employees when I was running for office because um, they're unionized and they were actually going on strike against Frontier uh, for some of their deceitful acts against employees, which doesn't shock me. As I already told you, they like to blame their employees for all their problems instead of look at themselves in the mirror. But Frontier, you get to be my beef of the week because of how terribly you've run your company and then looked at other places to place blame including your own employees
1: again uh that is just astounding (laughs) if only if i was that bad at my job but got that much money damn man i just just, that's truly incredible. I mean, that is truly incredible. It,
2: it when I was growing up you you were always told to strive for your best but my god if you're employed by Frontier and you're the CEO just can tank it. Who cares?
1: You know what? You, you grow up and if you're terrible at your job you too can be <laughs> You,
2: you too can a, be CEO of Frontier.
1: That's an important takeaway that I think all of our listeners will find very helpful. <laughs> uh That's a good beef to end on. I I feel good about ending this show on that beef. And with that, we're going to close it out. Uh, I'm Chuck Cora. That was my co-host, Big John Eisner, and you are listening to App Pod Latcha. Thank you, as always, for listening. And if you're not subscribed, which some of you aren't, Uh, I've looked it up on the iTunes statistics and some of you are not subscribed and you're listening. So make sure that you are subscribed on Apple or Spotify or wherever you're listening to this right now and leave us a review and give us a rating so that we know how we're doing. And as always, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our Instagram's fire. Follow us on there, definitely. And be on the lookout for some really good episodes coming on the pipeline very soon.
0: Ever wish for fuller lips? With Juvederm lip fillers, a licensed specialist can help you get the customized look you've been wanting. Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC can give your lips that boost of volume you've been wanting. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at juvederm.com. That's j u v e d e r m.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.